everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but I became connected with through Catholic Instagram and the Catholic community online. She is a blogger and the creator of Early AM Coffee with Jesus, which is her blog, and also she has an Instagram account. She's a mom. She's a wife. It's Jen Schuerman. Hi, Jen. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, Like I said, we haven't met yet, but we kind of encountered each other on Instagram, on Catholic Instagram. So I don't know if you wanted to share a little bit more about yourself so we can get to know you a little bit better about where you're from. Um, So I am from and live in New Orleans. Uh, I am married to my college boyfriend, but that seems like a very long time ago to reference (laughs) my college years. Uh, I have, or we have two sons. One is 15, the other is almost 14. Um, And I also work in healthcare. I'm a physician assistant. Uh, I work in the liver center and predominantly treat hepatitis C. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. I have a lot of nurse friends. When I was in school, we had a pretty strong nursing program, went to Catholic University. Um, So I admire what you do. I know how hard it is. I was roommates with many women and and nurses who worked long hours. So thank you for what you're doing, especially right now during this time. Oh, thank you. I I have absolutely, you know, I felt called to medicine from a young age. I mean, I remember probably seventh grade. I just, I knew I was going to go into healthcare in some way, shape or form, and that I'd have to kind of figure out how I would also juggle having a family and being a mother, because that was also something that my, my heart desired. But it's only been in the last few years that I, coinciding with the time that my faith has become stronger and has developed more, that I have come to realize how much healthcare for me, um, it's not a career, it's not a job. This is mm-hmm. this is a vocation to which he has called me and it is a tremendous blessing in my life. And, you know, with all of the work, with all of the, the stress that goes along with it, um, it's still, it blesses me every day in my interaction with my patients. I, I get, I get more from them, I think, than, than they would ever possibly know. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that's well said. And I think you're, I think a lot of people, like I, I mentioned, my friends that I know that are in the, the medical field do see it like that as a call. And that's so important because, you know, people who are in, in those fragile states, like they need you to have that perspective and that attitude um, so that you're treating them with care, you yes. know, so I think that's a beautiful perspective. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you about this passage. It's one of my favorites. And I feel like I say that about a lot of <laughs> scripture passages, but it's really, this really is a good one. So you've chosen um, John chapter four, verses four through 14. It's the encounter with um, the Samaritan woman. So I'm going to have you read that and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. Uh, let me say first, when when I was sending you the the choice for this scripture passage, my mm-hmm. first thought was, oh, I bet someone has already done this. It's not going to be available just because I know so many people know this passage. So I was I was very excited to see that it was still an option for us. Yes. Yeah, it's meant to be. It's funny. Um, and there's so many more. I'm thinking I'm like looking at that list when I send it to people. I'm like, man, we've covered so much. But then there are so many you know passages out there that I'm like, oh, we haven't done this yet. Or like, right. why haven't we done this right. one yet? So this was definitely one of them. So thank you for choosing it. Well, I'm glad it was available. So I'm reading from um, my, I guess my original Bible that I got several years ago. It's the NIV 
version. Okay. And, and this was the the book that I was reading when I first um, read this passage. Uh, and I've got all these notes all over the margin. So I'm going to try to read Great. only, <laughs> only <laughs> the typed words and not all of my notes that are everywhere. Um, okay. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so this is such a beautiful passage. There's so much there. I'm just going to give a little bit about where we're at in John's gospel. John is not synoptic. Synop the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so they have very similar stories and kind of similar content and ways of writing. And then John does his own thing and just really elaborates and gives us it's a, such a rich gospel. And in these early chapters of John, he's called the 12 and, and John just kind of launches right into Jesus's ministry. There's no infancy narratives. There's no baby Jesus stories, as I call them with my students. It's just he's he's starting with Jesus's ministry and just and just going really into it. And he's, you know, chapter two, we get Jesus's first miracle already. So in this encounter, and this is in chapter four with a Samaritan woman, John mentions that you know, the Jews and the Samaritans don't speak. He mentions it right there in the passage. And so that is important to know the relationship between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, and so that makes it even more significant that Jesus is stopping to talk to the Samaritan woman. It's also important to note that John mentions the time around noon. I had had a deacon tell me that, um, you know, most of the women that would go to the to get water and, and they would do it in the morning before it got really hot. You know, in, in the middle of the day, it's the hottest time of the day. So the fact that she's going at noon would maybe signify that she has a checkered past or maybe is someone somewhat of a social outcast, which we know women were kind of cast aside during this time anyways. But um, so Jesus really doubles down on his like, you know, going against social norms by talking to a Samaritan and making it a woman who's probably a little bit, you know, outcast herself. So that's kind of where we're at and the significance of this in general. But my first question to you is, why did you pick this passage, Jen? Wow. Um, so I, <laughs> I picked this passage because um, it was in reading this passage that I heard Jesus's voice speak to me for the very first time. Um, Wow, I, I mentioned to you that I'm going to try really hard to get through this whole podcast without crying. Um, oh, no, feel because... free. The Holy Spirit moves in. The Holy Spirit moves in tears. I, I welcome it. So, 
prior to um, prior to this this time when I read it and heard his voice, um, you know, certainly I had read this passage before. I had heard it read at mass, I'm sure countless times over my, you know, 40 years at that time. And this was the first time though that the scripture verses came alive for me in a way that I had never before experienced. Um, Suddenly everything was very real. Jesus was very real. I heard his voice speaking to me personally um, and that kind of changed the the course of so many things um, that I have done. So that's ultimately why I chose this this passage. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I don't know. I I, I was born and raised Catholic. I was I'm kind of a cradle Catholic, and um, we've heard so many scripture passages. You know, as you mentioned at the mass, and so I think it's important to note those moments, um, as you pinpointed, like those specific moments where we hear Jesus's voice. Hopefully, we've all had at least some kind of encounter that we can recognize God's presence at this point in our lives. Um, for me, like that passage I've, I've discussed it on the podcast before was probably when I was in college and it was um, the raising of Lazarus in John's gospel also, yeah. <laughs> interestingly enough, but that was, that's a passage I can always go to and has throughout my life kind of, you know, I, I know I heard Jesus speaking to me when I, when I heard that in that moment. So thank you for sharing that yeah, um, you're welcome. with us. No, yeah. Thank so, you for sharing. So probably um, some background information will kind of better um, explain what happened as I read this passage Mm -hmm. and and how these individual verses spoke to me in so many different ways. I, you know, I kind of have lived my life as this type A, um, (laughs) be on the top of your game, uh, always has a to-do list, always focused on um, scratching things off on that list, goal-oriented uh, person. And, you know, that approach has served me well in life. If you look at what the world says you should accomplish or achieve, <laughs> you know, I've been able to to do so much by, by living within that um, mindset. And there was a period several years ago where, you know, I kind of transitioned from um, doing all of those things to maybe doing those things a little bit obsessively. Uh, there were some unexpected medical things that happened in the family, you know, basically some things I could not control. Mm-hmm. And so I think in response to these things happening that I didn't like, that I couldn't control, my planning, uh, controlling personality sort of kicked into overdrive. And I began to maybe near obsessively control everything and try to make everything perfect. And whether you were talking about my my gym routine, my diet, the way the house needed to be kept, you know, with regards to cleanliness, what I was expecting from my children, what I was expecting from my husband. I mean, I, everything I was obsessively trying to control and make very structured and and follow these rules, these arbitrary rules that I was setting. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, to the outside world, it probably looked like I had everything together. More than one person, you know, referenced, you know, you're like superwoman, you can do it all. And, and, And I would hear those words and something just felt not right because I knew that somewhere inside of me something was was off, even though I maybe was painting this picture of perfection for everyone to see. Um, and so, you know, some other things happened, and and I 
I found myself kind of doing things out of character in a way that that ultimately led my faith to start to increase. Um, I had an acquaintance who was diagnosed with cancer. His wife had a very strong faith and kept a blog of their journey. And so I, I began to recognize there's another way to live. She, whatever she's doing, despite all of the stress in their world, her something about her, and I now know it's her faith, seemed to allow her to still have hope and peace. She wasn't becoming an obsessive, crazy person the way I was in response to the things I couldn't control. And so I began to seek out um, anything having to do with uh, my my faith and and attending church services more regularly. And I found myself on this preached silent Ignatian retreat. Now, despite the fact that clearly the title says silent, I did not <laughs> realize that I was going to be silent for three or four <laughs> days for the duration of this retreat. So when I actually got onto the retreat and realized that I was not going to be able to speak for this time, I suddenly became very anxious, very upset. Um, I I was very worried that I was going to somehow misuse this time on the retreat, uh, that I would finish the retreat and look back and feel like this wasn't productive. I wasted my time. I wasn't able to get anything done during this time. And so that was sort of the mindset of, of where I was as I go through this retreat process. And I then find myself sitting in my retreat room alone and I had pulled out a journal and I wrote at the top of it, this question that just came into my mind. And that question was, Jesus, is my approach to life preventing me from being in relationship with you? Mm. Um, and then in response to that, I pick up my Bible and, and just start reading through um, a, this scripture passage for the Samaritan woman, which had been a recommended passage to read from the, the retreat facilitators. And after I read through the verses that I just read, I, I couldn't move on. I couldn't keep going. I, every time I would try to read the next line, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus. The best way that I can kind of think to describe it was it was as if Jesus was not done talking to me through these lines mm -hmm. and he was not going to allow me <laughs> to move forward until we sat with these verses for a little while. And so what happened is I then kept rereading the same lines because was, these were the only lines that I could kind of take in um, is I began to kind of picture myself there at the well, whether I was there as the woman, whether I was there watching Jesus interact with the woman, I just pictured myself in the scene, which, you know, I had heard of other people um, kind of inserting themselves into the Bible stories, but I didn't realize imaginative prayer or contemplative prayer was a thing at that, at that point. I thought these other people who did that just had great imaginations um, and that it was a cool little gift that they had, but I didn't realize that that was an actual method of praying. And so I did start to do that. And it was the first time that I did that. And what happened was, instead of me reading all those lines that I just read with my voice, which is sometimes critical, judgmental, it could be very harsh when I would speak to myself. The voice that I heard as I put myself in the scene 
was anything but harsh and critical condemning. It was full mm. of compassion and loving and kind. And, and when Jesus said the words, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I just, mm -hmm. everything around me stopped. And I just kept hearing him say, Jen, I am right in front of you. Ask me, just mm. ask me. You, you have built this life. You have built these rules based on this arbitrary thing that you've come up with. And, and you think that if you live each aspect of your life according to these rules that you've made up, that you're going to be happy and that you will feel satisfied and that you will feel whole, but that won't work. You're never going to feel whole. You're never going to feel satisfied doing it that way. I'm right in front of you. Ask me, ask me, ask me to fill you. Ask me. And I just over and over and over again, I could not go past that line, but it was suddenly personal. And he wasn't asking the woman at the well. He was asking me to ask mm -hmm. him and, and everything just changed for me at, at that moment. Um, and so that's, that's the background. Yeah, no, that's, that's really beautiful. I can relate to a lot and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate. Um, I am also very type A. I don't know if you do Enneagram at all. It's kind of like a Myers, Myers-Briggs kind of, are, do you know what you're, are you a one? No, I, you know, so I have looked into it before, but then I, I got kind of overwhelmed and stopped and just put it aside. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's but, not for but... everybody, but I found it, I found it helpful. And so, yeah, as you're talking that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can totally relate because I'm a one, which is like the perfectionist and the overachiever and the, yes. um, you yes. know, there's a lot of good qualities that we possess, but um, yes. <laughs> I, I had a similar conversion story. Mine happened a little bit when I was younger and I won't get into all of it, but um, in my teen years, like just kind of, you know, we put so much pressure now on students and kids to, to you know, achieve so much in academically. And I kind of have reached this, had this reached this point of like, I'm not perfect, you know, and I don't know what to do with that. And um, like you were mentioning just those moments of when we're no longer in control. And I find myself doing it now too, like, especially with quarantine, we were all thrown for a loop of like, we're not in control of this, okay. you know, so what do we do? So I think that your story can relate to a lot of people. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that with us. And that practice of putting ourselves in scripture is a very Ignatian. So that's probably why they were having yes, you do it yes. on the retreat. You know, <laughs> it's like that imaginative, it's very Ignatian and, and it's helpful. And me as like a scripture scholar, it's hard for me. Like I, my faith kind of started that way is like doing the Lexio Divina and the Ignatian stuff. And then now as I've kind of gotten further in my career, like I get so focused on the academics and I'm like, I, I want to thank you for kind of taking us in this more spiritual direction because I'm like, okay, let's get into the John. Let's get into what right. does he mean by this? Let's get us into the horse. And so I, I, I'm constantly thinking of all that stuff, the academic stuff, and not so much just like Jesus is speaking to me and to us in these words. And so what does that mean? So I just, I thank you for sharing all of that. Oh, you're welcome. It, it was, it was the first time I had ever experienced that, you know, instead of words on a page, instead of me reading about something that happened to someone else, this was the first time that the scripture actually came alive in a very personal way. And, and, you know, one of my, one of my goals or objectives since then has been, I just, I think that many people don't realize that that's possible. I think many people have not had 
that experience or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're aware someone else has had that experience. But when they read scripture, it's not something that regularly happens to them. And so my hope is that just people becoming aware of it would maybe change their expectations as they read or Mm -hmm. their approach to how they sit down with the Bible. I mean, I can certainly pick up this passage and read those same lines in a different mindset, not expecting to hear from the Lord, not expecting to receive anything from him. And I don't, you know, I don't hear anything from him in that setting. And there's a difference just within my heart when I sit down um, sometimes with the Bible. And it, it's an intentional but subtle shift in my heart position mm-hmm. as I begin to read his word that I think sets the stage to allow him to speak to me in that way personally, as opposed to, oh, I read a story about this woman who went to the well and right. Jesus asked for water. You know, there, there's something, there's a shift there, but I think there is a part of that that we have to do a little differently when we sit down with it. No, I think that's really well said, and it's a good reminder, like I said, for myself, because I I, I don't always approach scripture that way. I'm always thinking about it. And I, I mean, there is something, not to discredit, you know, like there is something I get, I get a lot out of when I add the historical context oh, to it, you know what I mean? And not so, but I mean, I'm not saying that you're not saying that, but I just, I'm trying to, I guess, do some self-talk right here, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, it's still okay that I do that. But again, I'm grateful that you're pointing out that this imaginative and putting, because my, my initial thing is like, well... And even I think we can benefit from this is like putting ourselves in the woman's perspective, maybe not the, just like what she would have been thinking. So I don't know if you want to maybe speak to like, what do you think she would have been thinking when she encountered this? Yeah, so absolutely on those lines. So I kind of knew when I sat down with the Bible that day, you know, I was vaguely aware there was some sort of issue between the Jewish people and the Sumerians and that, you know, there was somewhat of quote unquote breaking the rules. Jesus was was sort of going against the cultural norms. Like I, I had that sense. I can't say that I would have necessarily known great details about um, the historical context of it, but I, I had some vague awareness of that. And then, you know, the few lines in the passages that point out, you know, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. I think that actually having that knowledge, having that historical context actually did also speak volumes to me because for me personally, what happened as I read those words was that I, I realized or Jesus revealed to me that, you know, he, he, he's right in front of her and he asks her to do something for him, something she's perfectly capable of doing. He didn't ask her to do anything crazy or hard or challenging. He asked her to get a drink. You know, that's not a a difficult task. And her response to that, her immediate response to that was to focus on the rules, not Mm -hmm. what Jesus had asked her to do, but the rules. And I had had been in a place where I was living my life focusing on the rules, the rules I had made for how every aspect of my life needed to play out. And so Jesus asked her to do something. She responds by bringing up the rules that would prevent that from happening. Jesus doubles down and comes back more saying, look, I'm right here. I can give you living water. And once again, her response is to kind of argue with him almost. Sir, you have (laughs) nothing to draw with. How can you get this living water? Like whatever you're proposing, it's completely against 
my norm and my set of rules, my standards that I have to follow. And so she could have missed this entire interaction with Jesus had she never stopped focusing even briefly on the rules. And so could I. If I spend every minute here focusing on these rules that I've made for myself, then I will miss him and I, mm. I will not see him. And so, you know, like I want him to show me where, where am I getting so caught in the rules that I'm missing you? And whether that's in regular life, whether that's in, in my Catholic life, you know, cause I think sometimes it's potentially easy. It, it's sort of a potentially slippery slope to kind of do the, the traditions, you follow the rules, mm-hmm. you do the things, but maybe you're not thinking of mm-hmm. why you're doing them. You can get stuck in the rules and lose the relationship. And, and so I think there was a message there that I would not have received had it not been for that um, kind of historical context that you were referencing mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. Jews and the people from Samaria. Uh, everything you said is so, again, like I have to take it from my head to my heart. So in my my head, I've known all these things, but what you said about her wanting to stick to the rules and then and then possibly missing that encounter, that really kind of struck me just now. Um, and again, maybe I've intellectually known that that's what she was doing, but I always focus so much on just kind of like their witty banter and like, I mean, there's so much we can get from this. And I think, again, that's okay. That's valid. Like that's valid to like, to, to acknowledge the fact that he's talking to him in midday and like all of that. But you just took it even deeper for me that like she, what she was responding to him with, were these norms and he is he's saying like we don't have to do that like you I am right here in front of you like what do you I can give yeah. you whatever you want like we don't have we can go forego those those rules and those norms and that uh, that speaks volumes so well and then I think <laughs> you're you're welcome um and you know the first time the first time she comes back to him with the rules not only does he persist not only does he double down but this was the first time that I I read his response to her I think with the loving, compassionate, kind voice of Jesus instead of right. the critical voice of me. Because, you know, maybe in the past I had read this as Jesus saying, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking for a drink, you would have right. asked me, you know? And so yeah. if you read it like that, it's a very different experience than when you read it as Jesus sitting with her still patient, still loving, still still pursuing her and wanting her to pursue him back, you know, with a more gentle tone. And that's that's key. You know, I need to mm-hmm. I need to consciously make sure that when I am reading scripture and I'm reading Jesus's words that I am actually reading them as Jesus and not necessarily yeah. as me, which is hard. You know, because we don't mm-hmm. we don't automatically do that. No, you're absolutely right. I that tone shift is everything. And I think when I originally do read this passage, I read it with that sassy tone because I'm sass, I'm sassy yeah. and I think there's other places in scripture where he is, you know, calling out the Pharisees or he's calling out his apostles, but I think it does totally change the passage like you said if we're shifting that tone and seeing that this is an intimate encounter. Um, this passage is often used at it is always used during um, Lent for one of the scrutinies where people who are becoming Catholic, they come to the mass and they hear the readings and then they go off and, you know, they scrutinize further their, their journey and, um, and the readings um, before they become Catholic at Easter. So 
I don't know, my, before we wrap up, there's so much we can say, but um, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that. Like, why do you think this is maybe a passage that we hear during Lent or for RCA members specifically? I don't know if this answers your question or not, but another, I guess maybe it kind of does, and it kind of speaks to something from a point you had brought up earlier, um, you know, the fact that maybe she had a little bit of a checkered past. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's the statement that it was about noon when she sh- went to the well. That's there for a reason. That's that's there mm-hmm. because there's a, there's info in those words behind those words pointing to the fact that she went out of her way to do this mm-hmm. well chore that she had at a time when the well would not be crowded, at a time where she wouldn't mm-hmm. be interacting with the other women. And so, you know, we find out later in the the chapter that she you know, maybe has had numerous husbands or that she has had numerous husbands and the person mm-hmm. she's with now is not her husband. And so I think the point there is that, you know, this woman's not, this woman's not perfect. This woman has a past. This woman has maybe um, either things have happened to her that have affected the way she views herself. I think she has done things that have affected the way she views herself. Um, she's not or she does not appear to be this perfect, completely put together, everything happening correctly, clean, without sin person. Yet this is the woman he came for. Mm-hmm. And the very first verse in, in this translation is now he had to go through Samaria. And so to me, those words are huge because he actually didn't have to go through Samaria. When you actually know right. the historical context, he went well <laughs> right. out of his way to yeah. go to a place where, number one, he maybe quote unquote shouldn't have been to a well um, mm-hmm. where, she, where she was going to be. And so I think there's just a lot there because he went to her just mm-hmm. as he's coming to me, just as he's coming after you. This was intentional on his part. He met her where she was in mm-hmm. her messed up world in her, you know, disordered life, in the routine that's not great or perfect, in her embarrassment, in her in, sh- in her shame, he met her there. She didn't have to first get herself together for him to come to her. And, and I don't have to be perfect for him to come to me either. And you don't have to be perfect and nobody does. And I think that for, for some of us, we don't know that. And I maybe didn't know that for many years. It's definitely a story of like conversion. You know, we don't really see what happens to her at the end of it, but we can imagine as so many of his encounters, you know, they often go away. Um, we, we don't hear what happens after, but we can assume that they change their lives you know, because of right. this encounter. And so I think that's another reason why it, it hits home for you, for myself and for people who are going through the RSA process, like just that this it's an intimate encounter. And then, hopefully it changes us, the woman. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's so much here and my my words are failing. Yeah. But is there anything else you'd like to say as we, as we wrap up like a final takeaway from this passage? The only other thing I'll say from this passage is that it's a passage that has continued to speak to me. Um, This encounter was actually in um, 2019 when I was on that retreat and, and this had this encounter with, with Jesus And there was a period about a year later when maybe I was kind of starting to slip a little bit back into my rule focused 
<laughs> um, mm-hmm. existence because that's an easy slope for me to slide down quickly. And so I was reading it again just randomly one day and it suddenly struck me you know, that it says Jesus sat down by the well and then the woman mm-hmm. approaches and they have their, their exchange. Um, and nowhere did it say Jesus stood up. And I was struck very deeply by the fact that at that entire exchange, at least if you read it, that he's still sitting because it never mm-hmm. says he stood up, that he did remain seated. And I felt him say to me as I read these words, I want you to sit here with me. Like I'm, I didn't get up for a reason. I want you, I want you to sit here with me. I want you to come back to the well and tell me what's happening. Come back here to get this living water. And so, you know, now sometimes just in my own little prayer life, there's times when I'll be like, I need to, I need to go back to the well. He's still sitting there. He's waiting for me and I've wandered off. I need to go back and sit by him. And, you know, for all we know, he stood up and he didn't continue to sit, but in my mind, (laughs) he's still sitting there and he's still always waiting for me to return there and sit with him again. That's a beautiful image. And um, you wrap that up so well. Thank you so much, Jen, for sharing your story and for, again, pointing out these spiritual takes and things, takeaways um, in this passage that sometimes we just, you know, gloss over normally. But um, at the end, I'd like to give people a chance to direct us to any websites. I know that you have a blog and you have an Instagram account that's kind of unique and special. So what would you like us to, to check out either your blog um, or your Instagram? Sure. Yeah. So I do have a blog. The blog is actually um, was born as a direct result of this encounter with him on that retreat. I, I kind of clearly heard him tell me that he wanted me to tell others what he was telling me. Uh, and so I have a blog. It's earlyamcoffeewithjesus.com. Um, and I, you know, I post every three to four weeks and pretty much every post is a direct result of some early morning coffee chat that I have had with Jesus. It, it, it's, you know, everything from the way he has given me um, healing my body image struggles that I've had in the past, lessons on forgiveness, um, lessons on my identity, lessons on on parenting, just so much that that he's really revealed to me over the last two two years. Uh, that's what my my blog is. And then my Instagram, and I actually also have a, a Facebook page. It's the same handle and the same stuff gets posted to both, but it's also early AM coffee with Jesus. And that has turned into uh, a very personal sort of picture version of my prayer journal. Uh, everything that I post there is pretty much a direct result of my early morning prayer time uh, and the things that he reveals to me in that prayer time. I'm a visual person, and so I can very quickly scroll back through my Instagram posts and remember the lessons he has taught me in the past because um, honestly, I forget them easily. And so when he saves me from myself <laughs> six mm-hmm. months ago, I will forget the way that he did that and find myself in the same problem now. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a quick scroll helps me to remind or helps me to remember the way he has been present in my life. Um, and he is always present in my life if I just make time for him. And so the Instagram page is not so much about me. It's more about the 
the conversations that I have with Jesus and the, the things he has revealed to me over each, each prayer session that we have. That's beautiful. It's such a cool way to use Instagram. I know that I'm constantly, you know, reminding myself, I'll go back through pictures and be like, oh, I remember that event. I remember doing that to remind myself of things that I've done. So it's cool that you're using that as a reminder of your prayer moments. I think that's beautiful. If you all would like to check out me on Instagram, I'm at seven mile chats, all spelled out. You can um, see previous guests that I've had and previous verses we've discussed. You can also reach out to me if you'd like to be a guest. I'd love to talk scripture with you. I'm also on Twitter, which is kind of more of my education account since I'm a teacher. It's at MissStruckley1, M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. And you can talk to me about education or um, Catholicism or anything you'd like there as well. Um, Thank you again, Jen, for giving us this really beautiful reflection on this passage. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone.